glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Psalm 19.14. How many of you think you could, without looking at your Bible, easily quote this verse? I'd say most of you. This is the kind of verse you learn in Sunday school, and that's very good. Uh, but what we want to do is just focus in, divide this into three parts, starting on the end of the verse, and get a hold of what David is saying. Many of the Psalms, as our family's been going through the 119th Psalm, you'll find that much of what David says in the 119th Psalm is a prayer to God. In fact, that's the way many of the Psalms are written, are David's prayers to God. We would learn then, because David is a man after God's own heart, not all the Psalms are written by David, but many of them are. We do well to pay attention how he communicated with God, uh, because his heart toward the Lord was very pleasing to God. David, again, a man after God's own heart, uh, a man that we can learn from how he was transparent. I think if you find anything in the Psalms, David learned how to have such trust in God that he would be completely and entirely transparent with the Lord. And when I read the Psalms, including this verse, that's what I hear. I'll be honest with you. There are some people that I feel I can trust enough to open up and bear my heart to, to some degree. Some, how many of you have people and it's a surface, it is a surface relationship. You don't want to say too much because you're not sure what they'll do with what you say. You know what I'm talking about? There are people like, ah, uh, we, we were in a house today and you just got to be careful sometimes what you say to people because they're coming from a completely different standpoint. I don't mean some kind of physical danger. I mean, don't cast your pearls before swine is probably what I mean. Uh, there are some people you don't trust enough to open up and bear your heart because you don't trust them. And I'll say this, in prayer, if our prayer to the Lord is always surface, I think it's an indication of a lack of trust. I believe the more we trust the Lord, the more you get very honest toward God. Very honest, including confessing when you're not trusting Him. Confessing when you're not all that you're supposed to be, but the confession, not from a standpoint of I don't care, but I want to be. That's what David, you read the Psalms. He's very honest with the Lord. At times, he's angry. You can hear it, but he's asking the Lord to change him. Here, what I hear is a plea that operates from an understanding. I know what I'm supposed to be, but the key to the verse starts with the verse word, let. Who's he saying that to? To the Lord. And so let's break this down if we might. And I believe this, as we've continued to go through these messages. The last number of the messages have been more broad. We did a number of messages at the beginning, especially on the tongue, that were specific, and we probably will have one or two more. I told my wife the other night, I said, at some point in time, I've got to decide to stop the preaching on the tongue because this could go on for a year and a half. If you study your Bible, the Bible has unbelievable amounts of instruction about how we use our tongues. And truly, it could go on and on, and it won't. We'll stop at some point in time. Uh, as the Lord directs. But tonight, as we look at Psalm 19:14, I believe, as we know very well, we've looked many times, including, I think, at the first message about the tongue, about the connection between the heart and the mouth, where the Lord Jesus says, either make the tree good or the tree evil. And he goes on to say, uh, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil, uh, out of the, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. That principle is seen throughout. But in David speaking to the Lord, he understands that truth. He understands that if the words of his mouth are going to be right, it's got to be coupled with the meditation of his heart. And we'll get to that point last. 
But he says this to the Lord. I believe this. All the instruction we have in the Bible about how our tongues should and should not be used are of no avail if we're not approaching the Lord the way that David approached him. I want you to listen how the Lord, David speaks to the Lord. So we begin tonight. He's going to make a request about his tongue and the use of his tongue. But I want you to listen how he addresses the Lord. His understanding of who the Lord is to him is going to determine how he thinks about the use of his mouth. And that this is applicable. He's preaching and praying about his mouth. This truth tonight is applicable to any member of our body, whether it's our hands or our feet. And he says this again, verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. And what's he referred to the Lord? O Lord. Lord there, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is for Jehovah. It is uh, how the King James translators translated almost not every time, but almost every time, the name of the Lord, Jehovah God, instead of using it in the first person, out of reverence and respect, they refer to it as all caps, Lord. And we know that the underlying Hebrew word there is Jehovah. Lord, of course, entails the supreme ruler of the universe, the self-existent God who does not need man to exist, exists on his own. And what I would see here is that David's relationship with the Lord is one that recognizes the sovereign authority of God in his life. Meaning, he is starting or, or giving this prayer. He's concluding the psalm by acknowledging, he starts with saying, you've, you've created the heavens, they declare your glory. He praises God for his might and his power. And he talks about the statutes of the Lord that have been written down and how they instruct and convert and all of these things. And then his response to God's authority is, let the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, recognizing who Jehovah God is as his authority. And then he says, my strength and my redeemer. I believe this, if our attitude of heart and our disposition of heart toward the Lord is one of indifference. One of indifference. Well, I know I believe about the Lord and so forth, but we're not in, 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 in purposeful recognition of who the Lord is in our life and what He has supplied to our life, and then we're not really going to be mindful of our accountability to Him. And I'm going to speak about that in just a moment. There's a lot entailed in how David petitions the Lord here, but the first thing that he does is he recognizes who the Lord is. Now, tonight we may be able to put on paper who the Lord is, but... May I say this, knowing and believing that He is the Lord, our Creator, the Lord, our Savior, the Lord, the author of this book, establishes what we talked about in Sunday school this morning. The fear of the Lord. You know what I hear from David here? A godly fear. I hear from David a concern that either what he's thinking in his heart or saying with his mouth is not going to be pleasing to the Lord. How many of you know that there's times you want... And if you have, you know, had a relationship with someone uh, 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 of the opposite sex and you desired to have a, a strong relationship, maybe you say, boy, I'm interested in that person. I mean, you know, you don't want to upset that person. You want them to like you. You understand what I'm saying? Especially you get two, two young people, they've got a crush on each other. Man, they're real, real careful to listen to what the other person likes and doesn't like, especially in those early stages of, uh, uh, of infatuation, if you would, and real careful. I don't want them to be upset. Oh, that we would live that way with the Lord, that we would live in such a way that I don't ever want him displeased with my life. And you hear from David, you are the Lord, but then he begins to use the personal pronoun my. 
He understood that the Lord, the creator of the universe, the giver of the word of God, was something to him. David had submitted to the Lord's authority, put his trust in God's life-giving ability, because then he says, O Lord, my strength. This is an acknowledgement that you, Jehovah God, are the source of my life and my strength. I believe so often we take for granted what the Lord is to us, what he's done for us, And so yet again, as so many things are being taught and preached here in recent weeks, we come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul says it's the love of Christ that constraineth us. I'll be honest with you. Developing, you can get a list of standards for your tongue that you borrow from somebody else. But what I'm trying to say tonight is any kind of godliness must flow out of a personal relationship between you and the Lord. There, There came a time in my life because of who the Lord is and having sent Jesus Christ to save me and understanding there's some some verbiage and there's some attitude and some usages of words that are displeasing to his ears, there came a time where it began to disturb me that certain kinds of speech came out of my mouth and in my conscience I knew he didn't like it. There comes a time where we must consider not my relationship to other people, not my relationship to myself, but my relationship to the one who made me, the one who saved me, the one who put his book in my hand and his Holy Spirit in my heart as to how I'm going to conduct myself in a practical way. Uh, as I said, this is a, uh, we're, we're nearing the end of this series on the body, but I've been teaching on godliness in Sunday school and Sunday morning and preaching on the Christian and their body on Sunday night, and there's a connection between the two. Godliness is not adapting some man-made set of rules, though there needs to be rules in our life. Godliness is having rules in my life in order to please Him. It's something between me and the Lord. And it comes right out of the Bible. And what I'm saying tonight, godliness in the tongue is not... Okay, pastor, tell me. Give me the list of words that are taboo for a Christian. I'll memorize them and try to cut them out of my vocabulary. I believe there were probably words David never used. But they were because he knew the Lord and he knew the Lord was his strength and the Lord was his redeemer and he had a fervent desire to have words of mouth that were acceptable to him. And it all starts right here with David understanding the relationship he had with the Lord. May I say this? I want to say this to you young people. Right now you can be focused on a lot of things. You can be focused on a lot of things that catch your interest. Uh, You can get focused on... um, Work, you can get focused on school, you can get focused on music, you can get focused on friendships, you can get focused on perhaps marriage someday, you can get focused on a career and get focused on a future, on your future. All of those things, and I urge you not to do that. I urge you to have your focus where David had his tonight. And I say this a bit with some reproof. Some of you might be losing your spiritual focus. You need to have your focus where David's was. He says, Oh, Lord, this is something between he and the Lord. He wanted what was going on in his heart and what was coming out of his mouth. Again, we'll get to that. But all this request is given to something, uh, to someone that David understood. David knew who the Lord was, and he not only knew who the Lord was, he knew who the Lord was to him. Oh, Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. He knew this. David knew that the Lord Jehovah God was the source of his daily strength and life, and he was the source of his redemption. He says, "My Lord, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. May I say this tonight? If you're sitting here and you're saved, only one person gets credit for that. 
And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder tonight, perhaps in a more general way, that our loyalty to Him tonight is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our devotion is to Him. He is the one who died for us. He's the one... Listen, for you young people here tonight, how many of you are expecting to live a life of degradation, uh, uh, the drug life, the immoral life, the life being drugged through the, the ringer of sin? How many of you are expecting to live that kind of life? Now, by the way, you could. You're not exempt. But that's really not the prospect for most of you here tonight. Why not? Why are some of you not in a reform school tonight or off in some kind of a penitentiary for juveniles? You ever stop and think about that? I believe this. God's been good to you. Not only has He given you a home and a church to be in where people know the Redeemer, but for you, most of you have a solid testimony of Him being your Redeemer. What is a redeemer? Someone who buys you out of sin. And Jesus, with his shed blood, bought you out of the sin market. And you ought to step back and be thankful that on a Sunday night you're sitting in church, listening to the Word of God, hearing from him how he can serve you. Some of you, God has been so gracious, you've been on more missions trips by the time you are 18 or 19 years old than I've been on my life. And I'm a preacher. God's given you so many opportunities. Where do you have the strength to do that? Where does your life and strength come? It comes from Him. Physical strength? Yes. Spiritual strength? Yes. David knew who the Lord was to him. And for that reason, you know what he's saying? Lord, my loyalty is to you. Your loyalty tonight needs to be the Lord. Not to yourself. Not to your future. Not to your happiness. To the one who bought you with His blood. Paul said, Philippians 1.21, years ago as a very young man, you might have called me still a boy, but God used Philippians 1.21 to do a work of deep conviction in my heart. If you'd said, what is your life about? I'd say, well, my life is about my job, and my life is about my new wife, and my life is about the child we have on the way, and my life is about making a little money, and my life is about trying to do all that to make you know please the Lord. My life is about football, and my life is about some enjoyable things. My life is about this and this. I was living for a lot of things. And to be honest with you, I was surrendered to the Lord, wanting to please the Lord. But the Lord dealt with me that my life is about one thing. Christ. He's the only one that ever died for me. And He wants our focus, as we dealt with in the morning message, to be on Him. And when Christ has the preeminence, your life is not about what makes you happy. Your life is about Him because He's your strength and He's your Redeemer. Here's where we're coming from. David's understanding of his relationship to the Lord determined everything in his life, including what he would sit and think about when he's all alone and what he would say with his mouth. And so his relationship with the Lord, he recognized the authority of the Lord by calling him, O Lord, but he recognizes that the Lord is his strength, his source of life, and his Savior when he calls him my Redeemer. That understanding is what makes any of the messages that have been preached have any value. I know we've said this before, but... You can read all you want about not backbiting, but if the one who told us not to is not important to us, it won't matter. I can walk up to somebody on the street and say to some child on the street, now listen, you be sure and tell your parents please and thank you. And they'll probably look at me and go, I don't know you, and you don't matter to me. If you, Jim and Jeff drive bus, and I used to drive bus on occasion, you have a child remind you, you're not my dad. You better be glad. (laughs) Uh, The point is this. Those kids don't care because I don't mean anything to them. You know, we can lightly disregard what's acceptable to the Lord 
It may be because we haven't thought in a while that he is our strength and our redeemer. David said, he made a request, but he concludes with, here's why I'm making this my, re- my request. You're my strength and my redeemer. And so he speaks of his relationship with the Lord at the end of the verse. And then we see in the middle of the verse his recognition before the Lord. But he understands the Lord is his strength and his redeemer. We would call it his personal savior. I understand he was an Old Testament saint, but God was his personal savior. And if the Lord is your personal savior tonight then we ought to understand the same things that David did. So he says, uh, we see his relationship with the Lord, but number two, his recognition before the Lord. This verse tells us David recognized a few things. He, He refers to his own mouth. Let the words of my mouth. That entails to me, he had a recognition of personal responsibility. He understood that what came out of his mouth was his responsibility. I spoke of this last week. We dealt with on how we're to answer people. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I let one slip. Yes, you did, and you should not have. That's your responsibility. Well, I just can't help it. Well, then get saved. Well, I am saved. Then you can help it. Let's go through that again. I let one slip. Well, then you shouldn't have. Well, I can't help it. Well, then get saved. Well, I am saved. Then you can help it. (laughs) You with me? We have the Holy Spirit of God in us to teach us how to use our tongues the right way. The Christian should never say, oops, I let one slip. Words don't need to slip from our mouth. They need to be directed from our mouth. On purpose, for a a right reason, David understood his mouth was his responsibility. He, in other places throughout the Psalms, would speak of, Lord, set a watch upon my tongue. Lord, watch over my tongue. You have given me a tongue and I'm responsible for that. Would you please help me with this thing? But he understood who was responsible. It was him. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. And so he had a recognition of personal responsibility. Personal responsibility then results in personal accountability. If I'm responsible for something, then I will ultimately be held accountable for it. There's a verse there, and I did not jot it down. It's in Matthew that speaks of by thy words shalt thou be justified, and by thy words shalt thou be con- condemned. And Jesus speaks of those who could speak against him or speak against the Holy Spirit of God and speaks of the fact that, we, that, that, we'll, that there'll be a judgment for every idle word spoken. Now, you and I who are saved by grace are not going to be judged by our words, but our words will be judged. We understand that. How many of our words? All of them. Well, that'll make us think a little differently. We're going to give an account at the judgment seat for the things done in our body. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This has been a theme last night, the chili supper, theme this morning, theme today, a reminder that you and I are responsible, especially as Christians, for this body that is the temple of the Holy Ghost, for how it is used. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have a, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, giving some instruction that gives us light as to the judgment seat and what's going to take place there. Paul says in verse 9, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. Except your tongue. That's not That one doesn't count. A man tried to tell me one time, Ah, oh, the judgment seat, you're not going to give an account for your words. I don't know where that comes from. Uh, We will. Our words are our body. So so, uh, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, 
whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. David understood this, because the Lord is Lord, and because the Lord is his strength and his redeemer, he has a responsibility for what comes out of his mouth from his heart, and so we see that, that is in, encompassed in this verse. He has an understanding of his personal responsibility to use his tongue aright, use his heart aright, but a personal accountability because he says this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. You know what that tells me? David understood that God saw the thoughts of his heart. How every one of us, every one of us, but I'm going to emphasize again for those of you younger here tonight, for all of us, but how much do you need to be aware that God knows the things you sit and meditate on? God knows your meditations. And you will be held accountable for that. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. This applies a couple of ways. And I'm going to depart from the use of our tongue for just a minute. This applies, he beholds the what? The evil. If I'm sitting meditating on some sinful practice, well, I'm not doing it. No, but it's the meditation of my heart, so it's only a matter of time till I am. I sit there, I don't use that curse word, but boy, I sure do think it. Well, God knows that. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Uh, if I'm in secret, thinking and conjuring up some way to do some sinful deed and not get caught, God knows that. But you know what the other side of that is? How many times you say, man, I get accused of this, and God knows my heart. I wasn't thinking that. That's right. If your heart was right, God didn't. This is the other side of the coin. Knowing the evil and the the good. My, my, my parent got me in trouble. They must think I was sitting around thinking of doing evil. God knows my heart. I wasn't. That's right. He does. Meaning you focus on what God sees, whether evil or good. And this, David understands that he is accountable to the one whose eyes are in every place. This is what Colossians is talking about when it talks about whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. We do not need to do our religious service so that men will say, wow, no, we're doing what we're doing as being seen by the Lord. When today is done, I believe with all my heart, I'm going to give an account to the Lord for the preaching that was done today. I pray it's a blessing to you, but i got to give an account to Him. Same with you and how we respond and whether we're indifferent and ignoring and not paying attention. We're going to give an account for the meditation of our heart. And David understood that. Personal responsibility, personal accountability. He understood something else about his personal life. Personal insufficiency. I'm accountable for what comes from my heart and my mouth. I, I'm, I'm responsible for that, therefore I'm accountable to that, to my Redeemer and the one that's the source of my strength and my life. But do you know what he says? Let. That word let means, Lord, I need you to empower this in my life. It's important then that he would know that the Lord is his strength. He understands I am supposed to have a, a, a meditation. Meditation is what you sit around and chew on. What you sit around and chew on, what you dwell on through the day, what you think about in your heart, what you yearn for in your heart, what you long for, what you entertain in your heart, that's what we meditate on. How many times does it feel like, I can't help what I meditate on? But if the Lord is your strength, you can. Philippians 4.19, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. May I say this? What you meditate on your heart, in your heart, will come out of your mouth. How many have ever gotten anger at someone and didn't want them to know you're angry at them only for one day at all to just come out? 
Am I the only one? He held that in there, and one day some words came out, and the words were right, but the tone was nasty. And the person said, oh, I had no idea. What was it the fellow said today? That God was what? Jeff, what did he say? What's that? A psychopath. Called God a psychopath. You know why he said that? Because he's thought about it. He's meditated on what he thinks of his creator. Called God a psychopath. I've heard of other men doing the same. You know why he said that? It's what he thinks. I don't know when he first thought it. But some point in time back, he meditated on it. You know what David knew? He said, Lord, you're my redeemer. And Lord, you're my strength. And I'm asking you, I know that I'm accountable to you for what goes on in my heart, what comes out of my mouth. And I want it to be acceptable to you. And the word let is a prayer. Let the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart. It wasn't let anything that comes out of my mouth and I dwell in my heart, you, you accept it. That wasn't it. It was let me live in such a way that's acceptable to you. You know what I hear from David? He had a yearning desire to please his Redeemer, to live for the one who gave him his strength, and that's his prayer. By the way, I believe this. If that's the prayer, then all the detailed instruction about speech, you know what? When my heart got changed from, I just want to do what's pleasing to me, to I want to do what's pleasing to him, my Bible looks so different to me. All of a sudden, a commandment on how to use my tongue was no longer a rebuke. It was an enabling. Oh, oh, I see. I got it. It was, a, it was a source of instruction that helped me accomplish my goal because now my goal is to please the Lord. So David, the first thing we see in the end of the verse is his relationship with the Lord, his recognition before the Lord, and we've seen it over and over, his request of the Lord is very simple. Number one, he requests that he might be a man of personal integrity. You know, he says, we might say, Lord, please let all my words always be right. I don't want to get in trouble. Please don't let me say anything I shouldn't say. That's not really where David's coming from. David said, I want to be completely and wholly living in a manner that's acceptable to you. Whether it's what only you see, the meditation of my heart, or what others will hear, the words of my mouth, Lord, my, my goal, my objective, and my one standard is that it would be acceptable to you. I'll say this again. When you are living your life for this one thing, to please the Lord, when what you do, what you say, where you go, how you conduct yourself is only and about being acceptable to him. I just want him to say, I'm, I'm good with that. That's godliness. Godly speech is when my speech is not an expression of my anger, but an expression that is pleasing to the Lord. It's, we have way too much self-expression anyway. Amen? Way too much. Look, the last thing you and I need is to hear each other express ourselves. I'm trying to know myself. That is depressing. Don't know yourself. Know God. Amen? The Bible says the fool has no delight but to discover his own heart. That's what Proverbs says. There's no delight but to discover his own heart. Quit trying to discover our hearts and let's discover God's heart. David's request was simple. He wanted personal integrity. Not just words that sounded right. That's hypocrisy. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I know who you are, Lord, and I know I'm accountable to you. I'm responsible for what comes out of my heart and my mouth. 
And Lord, would you please allow what's going on in here and what's coming out of here to be by this one, this one rule, what's acceptable to you. With that in mind, let's conclude this tonight with a few verses in the New Testament. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, we've looked at many times recently. But when Paul was instructing Timothy, I think sometimes this verse gets misused and mis- misapplied. We get the idea that Paul was telling Timothy to be a student. You know, learn to study a lot. And the word study here means to give diligent application of oneself to. But what he says to Timothy is this, 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Timothy, diligently apply yourself to live a life that meets God's approval. He didn't say, Timothy, study to show thyself a student. He said, study to show thyself approved unto God. Can I ask this question tonight? And again, this message is broad. It touches our tongue, but it's a little more broad than that and touches godliness in every facet of our lives. Could you say with a good conscience before the Lord tonight, Lord, you know that I am diligently applying myself to living a life that is acceptable to you and approved in your sight. Whether it's my thought life, whether it is how I'm spending my time or my finances or how I speak or how I refuse to speak or what I put in my body, whether my ears or my eyes or uh, the kind of people I'm going to communicate with, what my goals and objectives are. I want whatever my, whether it's my desires, my words, my thoughts, my actions, my goal is to meet your approval. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 puts it this way. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, except your tongues, a living sacrifice. Uh, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So first of all, present your body, get your hands off your life, yield it to him, let him do what he wants, live, use your body his way, present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Don't pattern your life after lost people. I'll say that again. Don't pattern your life after lost people. That's a, that's a blanket statement. Young people, hear me again. God didn't say, don't pattern your life except it's conservative lost people. Don't pattern your life after the world. Don't let the world give you your values. Don't let unbelieving, God-denying people tell you how to think. Don't let them tell you what is important in life. Don't let them tell you how to have what kind of attitude is acceptable or what goals in life are acceptable. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Why do we present our bodies? Why do we refuse to conform to an unbelieving world? For one reason, that you may prove, means prove it out with certainty, what is that good and acceptable and perfect Will of God. God says, finding and knowing the will of God for your life. And it's not hard. It's not complicated. But there is a recipe to proving the will of God. you got to get your hands off your life. And, and we got to quit saying, well, I can't help it. Sometimes I just get so aggravated, I have to say, that's no good. No good. We are accountable for our tongue. And it's not to be flying off the handle. It's to be governed by the word of God. Having been presented as a living sacrifice, not once, but daily, not conforming to the world, but being transformed, learning to think like the Lord. That's 
studying to show yourself approved unto God. It's rightly dividing the word of truth, digging in the Bible for direction from the Lord, knowing what's acceptable to Him. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The rest of the chapter is going to talk about spiritual gifting. Do you realize you're not even qualified to use your gifts until you get past Romans 12 too? You're not ready to exercise and use spiritual gifts in God's house. The first things first, let's get ourselves presented to the Lord. And that's what the, that's the heart I hear in David in Psalm 19:14. Lord, my tongue belongs to you. You have redeemed me. You bought me. You're my source of strength. Now give me that strength so that my meditation in my heart, what I dwell on, what I dream after, what I long for, what I sit and think about is acceptable to you. That's David's request. Personal integrity, words and heart for heavenly approval. That was his only standard. He wanted God's acceptance and approval on his life. Ephesians 5, 9, and 10. Ephesians 5, 9, and 10. Now the Bible says in verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10, what? Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. I'll tag back to the illustration we had this morning in Sunday school. How many times we say, this is the way I live my life, and if we were honest, the only explanation would be, I think, I feel. Now, thinking and feeling are not wrong. Don't misunderstand me. But human reasoning and human emotion are no foundation for life. The Word of God is. Do you know what Dave was saying tonight? Lord, my goal in life with my tongue is to only use it in a way that is acceptable to you. Our vocabulary should be completely formed by what is pleasing to the ears of God, not what's pleasing to the ears of man or what is a reflection of our current emotion, unless that's pleasing to the Lord. And so he's seeking heaven's approval on the meditation of his heart and the words of his mouth. And friend, this is, this is really an expression of what the Christian life is. Let me be acceptable to you because you're my strength and my redeemer. In conclusion, let's look at Ephesians 4. So Ephesians 5, 9, and 10 it talks about proving what is acceptable to the Lord. Back there in verse 29, which I mentioned earlier, and I want you to think about this. Let's say you're very focused on how you feel. Let's say you're very focused on what you think and you're consumed with that. And the only way, let's say inside you feel angry and bitter over a circumstance in your life. Anger and bitterness has to have a vent, doesn't it? Well, it has to. And it does. This is why, take heed lest any root of bitterness spring up in you, and thereby many be defiled. With our tongues we offend many. You know why? Because we meditate on things in our heart we're not supposed to. And deep inside we're hurt over something, and we have meditated on that hurt until we've concluded that I was unjustly served, and now there's a root of bitterness inside of me, and I'm meditating on it. And I come to Ephesians chapter 4, and it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace unto the hearers. If I am bitter at Adeline, we'll just pick on Adeline. She's hard not to be bitter at this one right here. But if I'm bitter at Adeline and inside she's done me some kind of hurt and I sit and I think about how she's hurt me and how she's hurt me and how she's hurt me, one of the, one of the telltale signs of bitterness is this. You get around somebody and every conversation ends in one place. It always ends and normally it ends about a person. And it'll be maybe subtle, but there'll be the bitterness of heart toward that person or circumstance in someone's life has to come up. 
And what happens is if I'm bitter at Adeline and I sit here and I think, you know what, somebody needs to know how she's hurt me. I mean, somebody else could appreciate this if I could just share it with them. So I meet somebody else and they say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. And all of a sudden they say, well, how's Adeline? Huh. Well, I suppose she's all right. What'd she do? You haven't got a clue what she's done. You don't know the half of what she's done. And boy, I start just letting you know about her. And then I go read Ephesians 4.29. How did I just edify you by ripping her apart? By the way, some today are extremely clever about this. Their entire ministry is an expression of their bitterness. Entire podcasts and entire blog series and entire sermon series talking about how they've been hurt and it edifies nobody. And I go to Ephesians 4.29, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become a Greek scholar in a hurry so that I can dismiss the practical application of that verse to my life. Let's say I've got some bitterness in my heart toward God so it doesn't bother me to speak his name when I'm not talking to him or about him. And I read that verse, and the verses that follow give some more clarity to Ephesians 4.29. We're almost done. Give some more clarity to it. It says Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed on the day of redemption. You know what he's saying? Make sure your speech is acceptable to him. Verse 31, let all bitterness. By the way, you know what bitterness is? It is extended anger. It is anger towards someone or something, normally towards someone, that will not be put away, but clung to and justified by the one holding it. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You don't, don't use your tongue. By the way, these are meditations of the heart. Isn't it interesting how 29 and 31 are just right there together? He understands if you have bitterness in your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth. And you're going to spread that. If you have anger and wrath in your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth and it's going to spread. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I don't like to admit this. There's been times in my Christian life I didn't even realize what anger I had in my heart until I said something to someone else and I had no idea that much anger was pinned up inside of me. Now, here's where I'm coming from. If your heart is, I just want my words to be acceptable to the Lord, then God could say, you know, that that little diatribe you gave last week was malicious, filled with malice. You go, oh, if your heart is Psalm 19:14, you go, then I know that's not acceptable to the Lord. You know, that curse word you like to use and say that it's not so bad, it's not the worst word you could use, it's nothing more than an expression. It's clamorous. It's, it's bantering on, saying filthy things. And You see, the corrupt communication, let's talk about verse 29, is outlined in verse 31. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice. Malice means to be simply just corrupt and bad. There are certain words in our language that are just malicious. They're just filthy. My point is this tonight. The person that has a Psalm 1914 heart looks at Ephesians 4, 29 through 31 and says, well, praise God. Now I know what is acceptable to him in my heart and in my mouth. And I know what needs to be put away. It grieves me that I have it, but at least I know what to put away. The person that doesn't want to please the Lord says, well, I don't think what I have going on is, is that well, why does it come up then? Why is it even on the conscience? You with me tonight?
We need to have a Psalm 19, 14 heart that says, I know who the Lord is, and I know who He is to me. He redeemed me with His own shed blood. He's my Redeemer. He is The Redeemer portion has to do with His death for me. The strength word has to do with His life for me. He is both my substitute in death, and He is the provision of my life. And because He is all in all, I want to live a life that is only acceptable to Him. I don't care if what I say is acceptable to them. I don't care if it's acceptable to me just to him. And I read these final verses simply to give an illustration. The disposition of heart toward the Lord is going to determine how we process the text. I believe this. David had decided, I'm living with one standard in my tongue, in my heart, and everything in between. And that is to live a life that I know is acceptable to the Lord. How many of us know what the Lord thinks about a lot of things in a very practical way is communicated in this book? He tells us how to think. He tells us Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, what kind of things to think about. Things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report and of virtue and worthy of praise. I mean, that's so specific. And if we have a Psalm 19, 14 verse heart, we'll start putting out the things that don't match that criteria because we've got some very clear direction from our Lord. The question for us tonight is, could I write Psalm 19, 14 and be honest about it? Could I write that out? Is that my, when was the last time I prayed, Lord, please today enable and empower me to live a life that is pleasing to you because I know who you are to me. You died for me and you lived for me and I owe it all to you. I, I am indebted to you to live a life that's pleasing to you. Friend, that's, that's the truth of tonight. Amen? May we have tonight, may it be our heart's desire toward our Savior to have a meditation of heart and words of mouth that are acceptable to Him. May I say this because it's very possible. You could be sitting here in this message and, and say, you know what? If you just be honest for a moment, say that is not... It's not my desire because I don't even I don't pray that way. I, I, I don't even ask the Lord to help me live a life that's pleasing to Him. And some of you, obviously, I guarantee you do. But it's possible tonight there's somebody that says, that's not, that's not what I'm living to do. Then can I say without equivocation, you, you need spiritual help tonight. This message is not fully intended as a rebuke, but if it's not even a desire to live a life that's acceptable to the Lord, something's way out of kilter. If that's not where you are, you said, that is where I'm at. Then maybe you just need to renew that tonight. You can say, you know what, there was a time when I was trying to live a life acceptable to the Lord. Then ask yourself, what turns your heart away from him? David's heart was bent toward God. I just want to be acceptable to him. And if they say, that's, that's not my heartbeat tonight, then would you ask the Lord with sincerity tonight, Lord, would you show me what took that from me, what turned my heart from you, what changed my heart from wanting to please you to not caring? I'll tell you tonight, I'm almost done. I said it a few minutes ago. But I know in my life what took it from me, and it was bitterness. Bitterness in my life, angry over how some circumstances affected me, I allowed it to get me hard toward the Lord where I got here. I don't really care if what I do is acceptable to Him. That shames me to say that. But I praise God that there were preachers in my life said, if you don't care whether you're pleasing the Lord or not, you need to get right with God. And I'll say the same tonight. First, to those who may say, I don't really care. If that's truly the attitude of your heart, you need to repent. The Lord is not worthy of that kind of attitude toward him. Amen. There may be people that are deserving of that, but not the Lord. And I'm not encouraging that toward people. I'm just saying the Lord is perfectly good. For everyone else says, no, I really want to please him. Then you know what? Can I encourage you tonight? He is your redeemer and he is your strength. And we have the capability to pray so that we can live a life that is acceptable to him. That is success, by the way. 
Are we living a life that is acceptable to Him? Do you remember Hebrews 12 this morning, verse 28, that we should, uh, we should have grace that, uh, that we may with reverence and godly fear serve the Lord acceptably. 